0: Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I am your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. It is Tuesday afternoon, so it is once again time for Draft Deep Dives, and I'm here with my Draft Deep Dives co-host, my no ceilings and hashtag basketball colleague, Tyler Metcalf. Tyler, how are you doing this fine Tuesday
1: afternoon? Nick, I'm great. Just swamped with college basketball and just praying that we start getting some more higher level competition and matchups than just these. Powerhouse teams boosting their their resumes early in the season, um, but it's been a lot of fun so far glad it's back, and just excited for the entire season so we are a couple of games
0: into the college season, which of course means it's time for early reactions and small sample size theater so today we're going to talk about five prospects who have done interesting things let's just say to start the season, whether it be sort of proving that they were who we thought they were as prospects, or in a few cases, showing something new on the floor. And the prospect that I wanted to start with today is Jaime Jaquez Jr. out of UCLA. Obviously, he boosted his stock a little bit with the UCLA Cinderella tournament run last year. A lot more people focused on Johnny Juzang than Jaime Jaquez, but he certainly was impressive as well in that tournament run. and we were talking about, you know, how the competition level has not been that great for many of the major programs, but UCLA played another really solid program in Villanova. And Hakkas to me was really impressive in that game. He certainly showed some of his defensive chops last season, but I was really impressed with what I saw from him, particularly as someone who might be a potential power forward defender in the NBA. And I think if, he can hold up as a four. He's undersized at 6'6 height-wise, but he really does compete in the post. And if he can play regularly as a four in the NBA, I think that will be huge for his development. The other thing that I noticed from Haquez that was really impressive to me is his handle looks better. You know, again, granted, we're a grand total of two games into the season, but Jaquez was doing a lot of the initiation on offense. And passing is probably, if not his biggest plus skill at this point, then certainly up there. And with him being able to handle the ball as a facilitator and sort of play the four on defense, I think he could be a serious threat in short roll situations on the right team in the NBA. But, you know, overall, I was much higher on Hakez than Johnny Chuzang last season. And I continue to be that way early in this season. But what are your thoughts on Hakez, sort of in general as a prospect and then from the tiny amount of film that we've seen so far this year?
1: Hawkins has always been one of those guys that's been really hard for me to get a really good grip on as to what he'll do at the next level because he doesn't have any of these elite skills where he just really shines in one specific area like he's not like Drew where he's this elite knockdown shooter or you know Kennedy Chandler where he's a blur and transition and great scorer you know so he's just one of these guys that does a little bit of everything at a really impactful level and those guys who always just do the the little things and the dirty work constantly always seem to find at least some sort of role to carve out in the NBA I'm still struggling to get a grip on him because it, he does look like he has a more pronounced offensive role this season and like you said the handle looks a little better so as the season progresses, I'm hoping that we kind of continue to see an expanded scoring role or playmaking role from him. Um, if he can really create out of the short role, like you mentioned, I, I think that would do wonders for him and really help kind of encourage him or encourage the idea that he could play that small ball four at the next level because I I think he's strong enough I think he's you know gritty enough I I think he's willing to do the little things to play that role at the next level. He's just got to really prove that he can perform those ancillary skills at a really really high level all the way throughout throughout a season.
0: Yeah, you mentioned that he's not really particularly elite at anything, yeah. but A prospect that I know we were both very high on last season was Jeremiah Robinson Earl. And Mm -hmm. they have, I think, quite a few similarities. And Robinson Earl already in season for Oklahoma City has earned his way into the rotation and has been a stalwart on defense. There was the one clip that went around where he just stymied James Harden, which, you know, if you could do that uh, at the NBA level, then you're pretty much set as someone who can defend at the NBA level. And... Robinson Earl has a bit of size on Hakez, and that's definitely important, but I don't think Robinson Earl ever had the ball in his hands as much as it seems like Hakez is going to this season for UCLA. I,
1: I really like that kind of comp, not necessarily like one for one, but just general style and personality of player on the court. And I that that, that actually will probably help me a lot going forward, viewing Hakez as just kind of like as more of like the wing or guard version of Robinson Earl because they, the way they both play is really high cerebral understanding of the game and what they need to do to help their team win. Not necessarily what they need to do to put up the biggest numbers or show out the most, but on each, on a possession to possession basis, what is the right play? What is the right rotation? Where does the ball need to go? Where? will it go three passes from now? And how can I make sure that I'm in the right spot to either keep it moving or to intercept it and disrupt it?
0: And that's also why I'm pretty high on Hakez. is I think his floor is very high as a prospect. Like, you know, I don't, I don't think he has superstar upside or anything like right. that, but you know, I find it hard to believe that there aren't at least two or three teams in the NBA that could use him as a 10 to 15 minute a game role player. And, If he can solidify his offensive game a bit, get better from beyond the three-point line, get, I mean, he is a good facilitator and, you know, that's something he can do both with the ball in his hands or as an off-ball facilitator type. You know, there are so many teams in the NBA that could use a player like that. And certainly the team that I follow most closely, the Sacramento Kings, could definitely use a couple of players like that. And, you know, that's not the kind of flashy thing that will get you touted as a lottery prospect, but It also makes it much harder for me to see him failing at the NBA level then, and, you know, not to go back to the well here, but I think that his floor is so much higher than Johnny Juzang's. And, you know, maybe Juzang has that potential for serious creation upside on the offensive end, but Haquez does so many other things on the court at a good enough level, you know, maybe not an elite level, but a good enough level where you could see him fitting into a whole multitude of different situations.
1: That that I think that's a great way to put it because he's one of those guys where when you bring him in off the bench as the eighth man in a rotation or something in the NBA, you're just looking for someone to fill a specific need to that complements the other guys out there. Where if they have a heavy shooting lineup, then all right, here here's Haquez who can be a plus rebounder for the team, or okay, now he's he's providing a little off-ball shooting boost that other guys aren't. So. He he just has a bunch of complementary skills that should gel pretty seamlessly with a bunch of different players, and he has a personality that really makes sure that those skills shine through and they aren't a hindrance um, where he's out there trying to do more than he should because he rarely seems to force things and just lets the game flow naturally, which is really rare for college kids.
0: So let's move on to a prospect that you had on your list, who we both have been quite high on for a while and have also been quite frustrated about (laughs) for a while. But it really does seem like this might be the year. This might be the year for Ochai Bhaji. So what have you seen from him so far this season that makes you want to talk about him here?
1: And it it feels like I've had a first round grade on him for three years now at a first ground great on him basically since we've been podcasting yeah Uh, and i swear if he doesn't find if he finds a way to avoid the draft again I'm, i'm gonna lose it but his start has been so impressive and i i don't think it's a complete deviation from the player he's been in the past it's it's another step in his developmental curve where he's not forcing things as much he's letting the game kind of come to him and taking what He's given and really picking his spots more. Last season, Kansas didn't really have a point guard, and Ibagi had to do a lot of the initiation stuff, and there was a lot of boomer bust with that. But I think that's really helped his game this year because we're seeing him do a lot more of that on ball initiation stuff, but he doesn't have to force it. He can just make that extra pass back to the point guard, let them reset the offense, and he runs off a back screen for a lob. So it's more of a complementary skill and role than him having to be that primary initiator, and that that outside shot just keeps looking more reliable. The team defense is has always been good. I'm just really excited that he's really piecing it all together, and it it seems sustainable and it doesn't it's not that that deviation or that this unexpected jump in style of play. And, you know,
0: him having gotten a lot more experience in previous seasons as an initiator, you know, sort of running the point when Kansas didn't really have a point guard. That's Mm -hmm. something that we've seen guys at the NBA level take serious leaps in their game because, you know, the two examples that are easiest for me to pull right now are Devin Booker and Zach Levine, where Mm -hmm. the first few seasons where they had the ball in their hands a lot and were asked to create for others a lot uh there were problems let's just put it that way you know not not exactly yeah. perfect for either of them early on but having gotten that experience made them so much better as secondary guys or you know guys who when the ball is swung to them they're not just like okay i'm gonna force my way into a mid-range pull-up or i'm gonna you know desperately try and drive to the rim and ignore the four guys screaming for the ball behind me right it's like them getting that experience with the ball in their hands even if that's not the primary role that they're gonna play at the next level, and You know, Levine, to some extent, has kind of just been incorporating that into his game more regularly as the years go on anyway. But just getting that experience as a primary guy in a situation where you can afford to screw up, whether that be at Kansas without a point guard or on the Timberwolves in the middle of difficult seasons or on the Suns in the middle of difficult seasons, even if it doesn't exactly look all that pretty the first few times they're trying it,
1: it's really helpful, I think, to their development down the line. And in in the NBA, I I would be sh- stunned if Igbaji ever has a primary initiation ro- or creation role. Um, but it's a better indicator of what his game will look like in transition and how he attacks closeouts or late in the shot clock. Can this guy just go out and create a fifteen foot jumper? So I, I think just that skill and that trend in the right direction is so encouraging and it, he's just done this season over season where he's just gotten better in every area that he really needs to. I don't think he's ever going to be this lethal outside shooter, but I I don't hate it when he takes a shot like I did his freshman year where he was just pure energy and athleticism. It's legitimate improvement across the board. The the game has just slowed down for him and he has a really impressive understanding of how to play now.
0: And, you know, I think part of it as well is that, I don't know, I mean, he is older than all the, most of the competition around him at this point. And, mm-hmm. you know, him being a 22 year old, as opposed to him being an 18, 19 year old is something as well. And I don't know, that's difficult to evaluate because sometimes prospects just grow naturally on a development curve when they get older. And sometimes it's leaps and bounds. Sometimes it stops and starts. But really the thing with Agbaji is going to be continuing to be consistent because you know he's had a couple of really strong games to start the season. And I think the biggest question for him is what will it look like by Game 15, Game 20? Will he continue to look like he's made the kind of jump that he has so far in the early season or will he sort of revert to the inconsistent ways of his past?
1: What encourages me the most about him staying consistent is the infusion of a point guard, as long as Remy Martin, who's who he looked like a completely different player in their first game. And so far this season, than he did his entire career because he's always been this shot chucker. But if he's actually committed to being that playmaker and offensive initiator, like he was in their first game in the champions classic, I I think Ibaji has a great opportunity and a lot of likelihood to continue that Wing scoring role, especially once Jalen Wilson re enters after his suspension. It'll just be another threat and scoring, a versatile scoring threat that defenses will have to worry about. So that will just open up even more both playmaking and scoring opportunities for Baji because so far he's proven that he has a really good understanding of how to beat whatever the defense is throwing at him. So Once they get that full arsenal back, I think Kansas is going to be really scary as the season goes on. And a big reason is Igbaji's development. So let's move on to prospect
0: number three that we're going to discuss today. Damian Collins out of Kentucky. (laughs) And my God, what an athlete this guy is. And, you know, that's the first thing that pops off the page with him. There was a moment last week when I sent a message to the No Ceilings group chat, and you know, not to throw the DMs on a podcast, but <laughs> my DMs on a podcast, basically me being incredibly impressed with his ridiculous alley-oops. And a few seconds after I sent that message, I flipped back to the Kings game and looked down at my phone during the commercial break and noticed that literally the play after I flipped the channel was the viral gaming Collin dunk. And, you know, I was just ridiculously impressed with his athleticism before that play. And, you know, after that, it's hard not to be even more impressed. But I think the key with Collins is that he's looked a lot better in defensive rotations than I thought he would be. He's not just this ridiculous athlete. He has this level of awareness on the defensive end that I think is really promising. And if he can be a defensive stopper and just throw down tons of dunks on offense like that alone i think will make him a valuable nba contributor and if he can expand his offensive game a bit further you know that'd be great but as it is he seems to profile pretty easily as an incredibly high energy high athleticism defense first guy who you get him near the rim and it's, it's over for whoever's trying to guard him
1: He he's such a a weird or he has such a weird body type because he he's so lanky and when he leaps off the ground, I he, you're not sure if he's ever going to actually come down. But I mean, he has this weird upright running style that makes it look like he's not that athletic. And then again, you see him jump, and it's like, oh, dear lord. <laughs> um, I, I think the it'll be interesting to see as they get into more SEC play how he does against defending more on the perimeter. I, I'm a little worried about his that upright defensive stance but even early in the season when he's gotten beat on the perimeter he has the explosiveness to recover and at, at very least disrupt shots and more more often than not swat him away so i i would rather have him be a little fundamentally inept at this point given his athleticism, because you obviously can't teach that athleticism, but you can encourage and teach a guy how to get in a stance and improve in that sense. Uh, offensively, it's pretty much just kind of lob and transition dunk finishes at this point, but oof, God, they're fun. Um, yeah, I
0: was about to say, I'm fine with that. I'm fine yeah, with
1: that. <laughs> exactly. And I, he, he tried a three in the game I just watched, Earlier today, and it didn't look good. But in the NBA, if if he can play with like a stretch five and be that energy vertical spacing four and the small ball five, I I think that's really promising. And the what you mentioned about his defensive awareness, I I think is really important because if he continues to show that he can be this devastating weak side shot blocker, that'll do wonders for his uh pro outlook.
0: It's funny that you mentioned the stretch five thing because, you know, hearing you talking about his running style instantly, the first thing that comes to my mind is all the consternation surrounding Miles Turner's running style yeah. when he was coming into the draft. And uh, that didn't last all that no. long. So I, I don't know. I think I'm a lot more optimistic about that than mm-hmm. I would be otherwise, just because that's the kind of thing where if you get the right teaching the thing that you can't teach is being able to jump off the ground and done from the free throw line over two people
1: yeah and and it's not that i'm discouraged by the running style it's just when you first watch him you're like what are you doing like on on, on that huge dunk on that transition dunk when you watch him run from baseline to free throw line for takeoff you're like what are you doing and then he takes off oh it's oh my like oh that's like oh that that's what you're doing (laughs) you're murdering this poor kid so I, it's it's just it just catches you off guard and it's not I I I the the stuff with Miles Turner's running got so overblown where it's oh this kid doesn't know how to run he's gonna hurt himself he's not an athlete it's like well actually he might be the defensive player of the year one of these days so you know I, I I'm not using that as a, an indictment of the kid it's just something that's like huh uh, just I, I wasn't expecting but the I I, I do want to see him just squat down a little bit in his defensive stance every now and then and deter a drive once in a while instead of purely using his explosiveness to uh, recover because in college that's going to work 99 times out of 100. Pros I know work 70 to 80 times because he is that freak athlete but it won't be as reliable and opponents will find easier ways to really exploit them there
0: yeah you just need to have more tools in the toolkit on that. yeah front. exactly the other thing that you mentioned is the competition level that we've seen so far for him and you know that's just part of the dilemma when you're trying to do small sample size theater yeah and, you know, trying to trying to make judgments off a small slate of games but I think that's a lot more important for him in terms of facing elite competition than it is for some of these other prospects. Because given that he relies so much on his elite, elite athleticism, him playing against better athletes in conference play is going to be a huge determinant for, okay, how much of this is, you no, know, he can just run a dunk over everybody, and how much of this is... The lanes are going to be a lot smaller against better athletes in better college competition, and that goes double or triple for making it to the NBA.
1: Yeah, exactly. And even from like an offensive standpoint, um, he he's going to have to play with a team that really spaces spaces the floor, and he's going to probably have to be that lone vertical rim threat because I. I I'm afraid that if he if he plays with another guy who can't shoot another non shooter, off their their offense will just drown because we we see it time and time again. Uh, as, as a Timberwolves fan, I see it almost on a nightly basis. Where if you have two non shooters on the floor at a time, no matter how good they are defensively, you're you're done. You're not going to be able to score. And good offense always beats good defense. So I'm. I've really enjoyed his vertical spacing so far, and his catch radius is absurd. He when he when he gets to his apex of his jump, he seems to just kind of hover there, waiting for the ball to to get to him. It's really impressive. So I I, I don't mean to throw a wet blanket on the kid because the 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 his most recent game where he got a, a pretty hefty minute load. He he showed out and he looked really, really good. So And they will be tough judging him in this Kentucky system because they are going to play that, him with another big a lot of the time. And they don't really have a floor spacing big on that team.
0: So let's move on to the next prospect on your list. You wanted to discuss Walker Kessler, who has had a pretty impressive
1: start to the season. What are your thoughts on what you've seen so far from him? He, he looks like one of the best room protectors in the country so far. Again, small sample size theater, not the best competition, but the way he's protecting the paint is incredibly impressive and something he, – he just looks like a completely different player than what we saw at North Carolina last year. I, part of that is obviously a, a much larger role this season – and but he he looks like he can be that defensive cornerstone center where he can really just protect the entire lane. He looks so inco- here he looks so comfortable in drop coverage, in the pick and roll. He doesn't chase blocks. He's really disciplined. He walls up. He's got great timing. His first two games have been incredibly impressive from a defensive standpoint.
0: And that's obviously going to be the calling card for him. So, you know, it's important to stand out on that end. But in terms of the lower level of competition, you know, there are some things that are obvious on that front, but Mm -hmm. there are some other things where it doesn't really matter as much level of competition if you are in the right place, right? Like even if you're playing against the best teams, if you don't know where to be, you're going to get killed. And if you know where to be, you're at least going to be able to help, even if it's against say Damian Collins quality of athletes as opposed to lesser levels of competition
1: so the 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 way he moves and defends and plays that drop coverage in the pick and roll it it just reminds me a lot of jared allen and he's just so comfortable with keeping guys within arm's reach and knowing exactly when to recover to his man once his teammate is recovering to the ball or staying on the ball a little longer and disrupting the pass it's just so natural to him and something I I just really wasn't expecting from him if he can really keep that up and then also display a little more scoring prowess on offense it wouldn't shock me if he ends up being a top 25 pick and
0: you mentioned Jared Allen and I watched a lot of Jared Allen during his rookie season in Brooklyn and the thing about him then is that Even then, he was very much someone who didn't care about chasing stats, who cared about being in the right place at the right time, who was absolutely more than willing to get dunked on. As long as he was contesting, he cared a lot more about that than getting dunked on. And the other thing with Allen is that he improved so dramatically as an offensive player during his first couple of years in the NBA. You know, he went from someone who was basically going to turn the ball over pretty much every time it went to him, unless he had a wide open dunk, to... Someone who wasn't exactly Nikola Jokic, but could make solid reads out of the post, could make passes on the short roll if he needed to. And he didn't really ever develop much of a jumper. He's starting to get there a little bit in Mm his Cleveland tenure, but he didn't really have that during his time in Brooklyn. But the most important thing for him was just developing on the offensive end as someone who could help other people out, you know, instead of just being a black hole whenever he got the ball near the rim. And that, I think, is going to be huge for Kessler's development because he's already shown what he can do on the defensive end. And the question on the offensive end really just needs to be, OK, can you be a part, you know, a cog in the offense rather than just, well, we're going to be playing four on five when you're out there unless there's an open
1: bone. And in his freshman year at UNC, I, I, what I took away mostly from that season was that he's going to be this stretch big. and. The, the the shot looks a little different this year it's not falling yet but he's not shy about shooting if if he pops out for an open three and the defense doesn't contest him he'll he'll put it up yeah so i'd different from jared allen
0: there's just yeah. a willingness above all
1: else right and, and just a defender knowing that his guy is going to take that shot or is a threat to take that shot it makes him go out just a little bit farther, which opens up a lane for cutters or, you know, makes it makes dribble handoffs a little more complicated to defend. So I, I think the shot will eventually get there, not to Carl Anthony Towns levels, obviously, but to, you know, better than Jared Allen levels. So what I think once he really starts showing off that, that jumper, um, hopefully, hopefully once he starts showing off that jumper, I, I, wouldn't shock me if if he just starts skyrocketing up a bunch of draft boards. Well, somebody who's been skyrocketing
0: up a lot of draft boards, but certainly not up mine because I was smart enough to have him as my preseason pick for best prospect in the Big Ten. The final player that we're going to discuss today, Jaden Ivey, who his last game against Indiana State did pretty much everything you might want him to. He had 27 points, eight rebounds, four assists. Knocked down a couple of threes. The shot looked better than it did his freshman year, which coming into the season, my thought on that was given how good of a shooter he was in high school, it seemed like that freshman year was more of an aberration than him being a 26% three point shooter. And, you know, he's not knocking down 50% of his threes this year, but he certainly looks like he's better than a 26% shooter, which that was my thing coming into the season. And if he can continue to shoot in the 30s, even if it's in the mid 30s, then he might end up being the best point guard prospect in his class. And it's hard for me not to think that he is at least in the top two or three on that front.
1: He, he was one of the guys I was really disappointed in that they returned to school uh, after last season because I, I had a near lottery grade on him. At, at the end of last season before he obviously set, declared that he was coming back to Purdue. He's such a fun, dynamic scorer and ball handler, and if, if that shot stays consistent and that the improvement is legitimate, he's going to be deadly and probably a top-five pick because it's just such a a fun, explosive, dynamic skill set on offense that It'll be really hard for teams to pass on that. And so my my thing my big concern with Ivy is can he run an offense? So do you view him more as a combo scoring shooting guard, or do you think he has the actual playmaking chops to legitimately run an offense full time? This is
0: the biggest cop out answer in the history of cop out answers. Boo but- yeah, I think his first two, three years in the league, he's going to be more of a combo type. But yeah. I think if he goes down the Zach Levine, Devin Booker road that I mentioned earlier of getting a lot of opportunities with the ball in his hands, I think he could develop into someone who, if not the sole primary playmaker on the offensive end, then at least someone who can split the creation opportunities with someone else, you know, again, depending on where he ends up. Like, he i don't think he's going to fall anywhere near far enough to go to golden state but you know if he were to play with say someone like Draymond who could be a creator as a non point guard that would work and that's the highest possible example just you know the most obvious one that i came up with off the top of my head but i think there are a number of teams where if they have say a bigger player who's going to have the ball in their hands more maybe Dallas falls apart and he ends up going there, I can certainly see a team with Jason Kidd as the coach falling apart. And, you know, if he goes there and he's mostly off-ball, you know, two-guard type on offense, but guarding the one on the defensive end, I think that kind of situation could really work for him. I'm hopeful about his long-term potential as a primary Mm -hmm. guy, but I'm not fully confident that that's where he's going to be especially his first couple years in the league that being said i think he does enough that especially given the relative lack of point guard depth in this class i think if there's a team in the top five that says we really need a primary guy they might talk themselves into id and maybe that won't go the way i want it to but you know i think he does enough especially when you talk about his defensive acumen Shout out to colleague Tyler Rucker forcing a backward violation, Ivey a night force backward violation in his game against the. <laughs> but you know, given his defensive chops, his potential as a combo guard type, I think that him primarily as a two offensively and a one defensively, his first couple of years in the NBA, I think that's a very easy fit for him. And I think that there are a lot of teams that are terrible right now that could use someone like that.
1: I I, I love that because that's uh, and that's mostly where I'm coming at it from, too. And I I think the the Zach Levine approach, the the kind of Kevin Porter Jr. approach where these guys aren't really point guards. But long term, if they get fed a lot of those roles, it's just going to do wonders for their development. And I I just I, I think that's a really good point by you. Hopefully, it, it turns out a little better than the Kevin Porter experiment is going in Houston because that team desperately needs a point guard. Um, and that that that's. It's a... not like they're paying a point guard $43 million a year or anything either. Christ, what a, <laughs> what <laughs> oh, a situation. My God. Yeah. But the, that's the challenge with that approach where you take these dynamic scoring guards and ask them to be point guards, knowing that that's not going to be their long-term role or hoping that's not going to be their long-term role you still have to eventually find that point guard to really take over because I mean, once you do, we see what happens with Phoenix and Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Obviously Chris Paul's an all-time great, so it's a little tough, but even Chicago is Zach Levine and Lonzo Ball and Caruso, you, it's just someone to really kind of just slow down the offense, orchestrate things, and allow them to be that dynamic scorer. If that point guard never comes, if they don't find the fit, if things go weird it can be more more of a slog. Um, so I, I, I like that approach though, because I I do think he's going to get a ton of creation reps, obviously at Purdue this year. So maybe that will kind of help accelerate that process, but it, it'll be fascinating to see how NBA teams use him because I would, I would be stunned at this point if he's not a top 10 pick.
0: All right. Anything else you want to talk about today before we wrap things up?
1: I, I, I don't think so. Um, I got a really fun Jabari Smith article over at No Ceilings coming this Friday. Um, just make sure that you go subscribe and follow everything we're doing at No Ceilings. Uh it's been a lot of fun so far. The, the reception and reaction over this first month has been awesome. Um, so yeah, just excited to keep it rolling all year.
0: Yeah, definitely go check that piece when it drops on Friday and definitely make sure to subscribe to the No Ceilings Substack if you have not already. He is Tyler Metcalf. You can find him on Twitter at T-M-E-T-C-A-L-F-1-1. And you can also find his work on No Ceilings, hashtag basketball and canisupas. You can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. I have an article on No Ceilings coming out on Thursday about Kadari Richmond and his start to Can't wait. for Seton Hall. It's going to be really fun. Starting to get into the film breakdown, get Yeah, excited it's fun. about it. Really fun. So make sure to check that out in a couple of days when it drops. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and/or a review if possible on whatever podcast player you might be using. And if you have any feedback, please reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.